What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be giving you guys my college football week five reactions. We're going to be talking about Georgia escaping Missouri, Ole Miss beating Kentucky, Oklahoma State got a big win on the road against Baylor, and what's next for Texas A&M, and should Jimbo Fisher be on the hot seat? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. Also, if you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure that you go ahead, like the video and subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast available on all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. All you got to do is go to the pinned comment section down below or the description, and it will take you directly to whichever podcasting platform that you like to use. Or you can type in a JT Sports Podcast on any platform and it will pop up. Make sure that you go ahead and check it out and leave a five star review. Listen to the JT Sports Podcast on all podcasting platforms and leave a five-star review. The first thing that I want to talk about, Georgia was in a dogfight with Missouri. They beat Missouri 26-22. to And I understand that in the world of college football, the mantra is, any given Saturday, anything can happen. And there has been... A lot of not only upsets, but close games. Remember, we had Alabama, Texas not too long ago. But if you were to tell me that Missouri was going to take Georgia to the wire, I would have laughed in your face because let me remind you that a week ago, the majority of us considered Georgia to be the best team in college football. Now, last week, They was kind of in a little bit of a tough game with Kent State for a moment. And then they ended up pulling away. But I didn't really say anything about it. I was just like, you know, they can't blow everybody out. So I'm just going to let it slide. But I couldn't let this one slide. This is Missouri. Missouri is one of the least talented teams in the SEC this season. And Georgia was a multiple point favorite going into this thing so when you look at this game and you were to ask yourself why was this game close well the first thing is the turnover battle Georgia had two turnovers in this game you had one turnover really early into this game by Kendall Milton. Then you had Stetson Bennett, who put the ball on the turf in the second quarter, which led to Missouri getting a field goal going up 13-0. And what was even more crazy is that Missouri went into halftime with a 16-6 lead. Now, I didn't take it upon myself to watch this game live when it was happening. I was watching other games at the time because my mindset was, you know, Georgia just came out a little bit flat. They're going to blow them out at halftime. Well, I was still wrong because it was still a really close game in halftime. And the main reason why this game was so close was because of Missouri's defense. Missouri's defense showed up to play 
for this game. Their defense was on the field for 26 more plays than Georgia's defense. And despite that, you know, they still had a pretty good showing. They gave Missouri's offense several opportunities to not only put points up on the board, but to help Missouri put Georgia away. And their defense was really good at causing havoc behind the line of scrimmage. They had a couple of sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. Like, Missouri's defense was really good in this game. And when you look at Stetson Bennett, he didn't play well in this game. And he didn't really play all that well against Kent State. But, like I said, it's Kent State. You know, you can't have a great performance every single week. You know, sometimes you do come off flat. But Stetson Bennett didn't really look all that accurate in this game. I mean, he just was off. And not just him, but the whole team entirety was off. And when you look at Georgia and what the perception was about this team prior to almost losing to Missouri this past weekend, most of us felt like this was the most dominant team in college football. And we knew eventually Georgia was going to get tested, but... Not really until, you know, until they got into the meat and potatoes of their conference schedule. Like, they were get to get into a close game with Florida. Okay, that's understandable. Or if they were to get into a close game with Alabama in the SEC championship game this year, if that were to happen, understandable. But if you were to tell me that Missouri, out of all teams, was going to be the first team to really challenge Georgia this year, I would have not believed you. Because Missouri has not really looked all that good this year, but this year they came to play. But why did Missouri lose this game? Well, they only had 14 total yards of offense and three points in the fourth quarter. Georgia had 14 points in the fourth quarter, so they got outscored. They also had... Only 14 yards of offense compared to Georgia having 185 yards of total offense in the fourth quarter. So Missouri just ran out of gas. And it goes back to the big point I've been saying all this season. When it comes to beating a team like Alabama or Georgia, you have to be able to put them away. And you can't allow them opportunities to win the game. And yet, Missouri allowed Georgia an opportunity to win the game. You see, teams like Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State are really hard to beat because they kind of have like this little glitch that I call the trap door ability. And the trap door ability allows them to, whenever they're on the verge of facing a team that's about to give them an upset L, they end up just pulling off all these crazy plays and all these random things start happening in their favor and end up winning the game. Let let me show you guys something. This was Georgia, and I don't care if this gets copyrighted. This was crazy. So look at this play. Look at this play. You You guys might not be able to see it, but this was ridiculous. This was a play... To Darnell Washington, 
He called this thing in double coverage and got popped and still hold on to the football. That was wild. That was absolutely wild. You see, when you're playing teams like Georgia, they just have all these kind of crazy things that goes their way that you have to overcome if you want to upset them. So when it comes to a team like Missouri, they just didn't have enough left in the tank to get enough big plays in the fourth quarter to put Georgia away. And that's why Georgia won this game. So I still give a big round of applause to Missouri for the performance that they had on Saturday. Very, very good game on their behalf because let's be honest, I don't think any of us were expecting that game to be as close as what it was. Even if you did pick Georgia to cover, I'm pretty sure nobody expected that game to come down to being decided by one possession. So props off to Missouri. Let's see how this game affects how they perform for the rest of the year. Because, you know, maybe they have a close game like that. And maybe it boosts up their morale. And they continue that into their next couple of games. Maybe they win some and keep building momentum. Or maybe this loss demoralizes them because they're like, man, we almost had it. And then they go on another losing streak and... It's just really interesting that seeing teams like Missouri, programs that kind of are struggling, give teams like Georgia really tough games and how it can affect the morale of the locker room and their performance for the remainder of the season. But let me know what you guys think about Georgia barely surviving Missouri, getting the victory down in the comment section down below. Ole Miss got the win at home against Kentucky, 22-19. Now, this game pretty much went the way I expected it to. I picked Ole Miss to win this game. And there was a good amount of concern that I had about Ole Miss going into this matchup. Because even though I picked them to win this game, I still wasn't really confident about them winning this game because I didn't know if Jackson Dart would play good enough for Ole Miss to get the win if the ground game wasn't there. However, luckily enough, the rushing game for Ole Miss was there and true freshman running back Quinshawn Juckins was absolutely unstoppable. He had 15 carries for 106 rushing yards, 7.1 yards per attempt, and he had a touchdown as well. Ole Miss as a team had 186 rushing yards. And I think the story of this game definitely has to be the fact that the special teams for Kentucky at least when it came to the field goal kicking, costed them this game. I think field goal kicking definitely was 90% of the reason why Kentucky lost. They left too many points on the field. And, you know, if I was a head coach and I had to coach a bad team, I would go up to the general manager, or if I was a college head coach, I would go to the transfer portal and at least try to get me a good quarterback and a good kicker. Because the difference between you having a losing season 
in a winning season despite not having a talented roster is the quarterback position and field goal kicking because and oftentimes the deciding factor and determining who wins one possession games are normally the kickers and how good the quarterback play is down the stretch so for Ole Miss in this game I think that Jackson Dart wasn't really asked to do all that much. Now, he did have to put the ball in the air a good bunch. And I think that he played pretty decent. Now, he did have an interception before halftime. And when Lane Kiffin was interviewed um, going into the locker room, he definitely was annoyed about it because Ole Miss definitely was starting to get into a little bit of a groove. And that interception definitely did kind of ruin the momentum that they had going in. However, outside of that, I felt like he had a pretty decent outing. He was averaging 14.2 yards per pass. These receivers were really good. So offensively for Ole Miss, still a lot of things that they have to work on, that they have to clean up. Jackson Dart definitely still has to continue to improve. And Lane Kiffin definitely alluded to that after the game. However, I think the defense definitely really stepped up. This defense came to play. They had three sacks, nine tackles for loss, and two big takeaways, which they were two fumbles that they had on Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. And that's another thing when you look at Kentucky in this game. One of the concerns that I had about Kentucky was what if Will Levis has the ball in his hands late in the game? Can you take care of the football? Because although Will Levis is really talented, he is prone to being a little bit reckless at critical moments and games. And I felt like in this matchup for Kentucky, unless the run game was really going in a one possession game late in the fourth quarter, I don't really want Will Levis having to have the ball in his hands too much because then that's when he may try to do too much and then cost you. And that's what happened with Kentucky. Now, luckily enough, their defense bailed them out one time. He gave it up. But then he gave it up again, and that pretty much was the ball game and it sealed the win for Ole Miss. And another thing that many people were talking about when it came to Kentucky's side, was they were saying that, man, the fact that C-Rod is coming back is going to help this offense out because now the run game is going to be there, which is something that Kentucky hasn't had a lot of success so far during this season. And C-Rod had a okay game. He had 19 carries, 72 yards, a touchdown. However, he averaged 3.8 yards per attempt. And the team as a whole averaged 2.9 yards per carry. And the problem with Kentucky isn't running back. You know, definitely getting C-Rod helps you. But the problem was the offensive line. And the offensive line was a problem again in this game. They gave up three sacks. You were giving up too many um, plays behind the line. It's just this offensive line for Kentucky is playing at the worst level that I've seen it play ever. I mean, this is probably the worst offensive line that Kentucky has had in a decade. When's the last time you can say 
that Coach Stoops had a bad offensive line at Kentucky. Rarely ever. So this offensive line really hurt Kentucky in this game. Because you look at Ole Miss, on the other hand, people were saying, man, JT, Ole Miss isn't going to have lots of success running the football because they haven't faced a team that had the kind of run defense that Kentucky had. And the thing with Kentucky's run defense was that on paper, it looked good. But remember, if you go back and you remember that Florida game, Florida had a lot of success running the football on the ground against Kentucky. However, they just chose to throw the football a little bit more instead of continuing to run the football. And that's what hurt them. However, with Ole Miss, they didn't shy away from that. Ole Miss kept running the football. And guess what? Kentucky simply could not stop it. And Ole Miss offensive line is really good. Really good. So you look at Ole Miss moving forward. They remain unbeaten. It's going to be really interesting to see how far this team can go because I don't think Ole Miss is playing their best football yet. So you look at the way their schedule's lined up. They don't, I think that Ole Miss has a path that maybe they could end up having another double-digit winning season because this team has a good defense. They're good when it comes to getting after the quarterback. They can force turnovers. You got a really good run game. And I think that eventually Jackson Dart and this passing game are going to get it figured out. I think that eventually Lane Kiffin is going to have Jackson Dart playing at a way more consistent and efficient level. And he definitely has improved over the last couple of weeks. He definitely is way better now compared to where he was when we first saw him especially during the spring. So I think that Jackson Dart definitely is improving and it is fair to expect him to continue to step up his play eventually. And it's going to happen down the stretch. I think this old Miss team is a little scary. And the, the whole entire SEC West, the best teams in this division right now aren't the teams that we may have thought would have been the best teams at this moment prior to the season starting. And we're going to talk about that on a later episode of the podcast later on during this week. Oklahoma State went on the road and got the win against Baylor, 36-25. Now, I got this game wrong. I went with Baylor to get the win because I thought that Spencer Sanders would continue to struggle against Baylor's defense because last season in their two matchups, Spencer Sanders against Dave Aranda's defense threw seven interceptions to only one touchdown. And I thought that Baylor's defense would continue to get the best of Spencer Sanders. However, that didn't happen. He had a really good performance this go around. He was 20 of 29 for 181 passing yards. He threw one touchdown to only one interception, which is a positive because in the previous two matchups, he threw three and four interceptions. And on top of that, he was really good on the ground for Oklahoma State. He had 14 carries for 75 rushing yards. He had a touchdown on the ground and he was averaging 5.4 yards per 
attempt, which was something that he wasn't really able to do effectively in the other two matchups because Dave Aranda, something that he did really well last season, was limit Spencer Sanders' ability to use his legs. And Oklahoma State had pretty much all the momentum in this game after their late first half touchdown. Then you had the opening kickoff return touchdown by Jaden Nixon. So they remained in the driver's seat for this game. However, Baylor did start to make things interesting. Their offense started to get going. They had that 49-yard touchdown by shaping to Baldwin in response to the Oklahoma State kickoff return touchdown which was really big because Baylor's offense was struggling prior to that touchdown in the third quarter I mean after what their offense did in the first quarter they couldn't really get anything going after that and then their offense really got hot but then in the fourth quarter that's when things started to fall apart and Blake Shapin threw two critical interceptions now the first one Oklahoma State only turned into three points. But then the second one won the game for Oklahoma State. So for Blake Shapin, this was uncharacteristic because normally he is pretty good when it comes to making good decisions with the football, especially late games. Like if there was a quarterback who you would want to have the ball in their hands, in late game situations, it definitely would be Blake Shapin. However, Oklahoma State's defense came up big. And their defense was getting a torch the quarter before that. So they definitely needed that. And they got a big time win. And, you know, you definitely have to give Mike Gundy and his staff a lot of credit. Because Dave Aranda and Baylor definitely were getting the best of his offense in the previous matchups. And this offense, this team, just looked really different offensively. They looked more explosive. The receivers looked a lot better. The offensive line definitely looked way more improved compared to last year. And this just was a pretty good performance for Oklahoma State. And I'm really interesting. I'm really interested in seeing how they play throughout the rest of the month. Texas A&M was defeated by Mississippi State, 42-24. Now, let's be honest. Most of us saw this coming because there was no way Texas A&M, with the way their offense has struggled this season, was going to be able to keep up with the offense of Mississippi State. Now, yes, you were expecting Texas A&M's defense to be able to hold Mississippi State to under 40 points because I don't think too many of us expected for Mississippi State to put 40 on Texas A&M, but their offense was really bad in this game, really bad. And after the A-chain fumble, things started to really tilt heavily in Mississippi State's favor. And then you had the Max Johnson injury, which he ended up having to leave the game in the fourth quarter due to a thumb injury on his throwing hand. Texas A&M had four turnovers. The offensive line was struggling. The passing game was struggling. Haynes King had to come in. And you already know when Haynes King comes in, you know your run game is going to get a boost, but your passing game goes down tremendously. And it's funny. 
Because after the game, right, Jimbo Fisher, you know, he gets up on the little podium for the post-game press conference, right? And the reporters ask him the same questions almost every game. Hey, Jimbo, you know, the offense was struggling out there. What's going on? And Jimbo Fisher says the same response every single time. Uh, it's nothing wrong with the offense. The offense is fine. We The players just got to execute. And he says it every single time. And it's like, Jimbo, I feel like these coaches have egos. And when they get to the podium, sometimes they have a little bit too much pride to admit when they have to change some things. Because me and you both know what we see on the field, Jimbo understands is not good. And he understands that it's more than just the players not executing. Because at the end of the day, your job as a coach is to put your players in the best positions to succeed. You know, a lot of people keep asking, why is Texas A&M struggling when they have so much talent? Didn't they just have them one recruiting class? Yes, they did. But you want to know why they're struggling? Because of coaching. And I tell people this almost every single day I wake up and record this podcast. That it doesn't matter how talented of a team you have if you don't have good coaching. Five and four star players don't just coach themselves. Somebody has to help them improve. And for Jimbo Fisher... His offense does really help. His offense, as a matter of fact, hinders the development of his players. When is the last time Jimbo Fisher has had a competent quarterback? After Jameis Winston. If you want to say DeAndre Francois, I'll give you that. But outside of DeAndre Francois... Jimbo Fisher hasn't really had a good quarterback. And then, that was at FSU. Texas A&M, he got Kellen Mond. And Kellen Mond was, he was solid. He, he, was, he was good. He wasn't elite, he wasn't great, but he was good. And outside of Kellen Mond and the end, DeAndre Francois, Jimbo Fisher hasn't really had a lot of successful quarterbacks, but yet we consider him to be the quarterback whisperer. You know, at one point, that name used to be true. He was pretty good with quarterbacks. Before Jameis Winston, a lot of people forget that he had a pretty good run. He had Christian Ponder, who got drafted by the Vikings. You had EJ Manuel before him, who got drafted by the Buffalo Bills. So, I mean, he had a pretty good run at the quarterback position prior to Jameis Winston. Now, when Jameis Winston came... That's when everybody started to give him so much high praise and regard because Jameis Winston exploded, won a Heisman Trophy, got drafted by Tampa Bay. So you look at the year 2022 right now, Jimbo Fisher, it looks as if his offense has become outdated and some changes need to be made. And, you know, after the game, Everybody always asks, 
What's next? Well, what's next for Texas A&M after losing 42-24 against Mississippi State? Ah, guess what? You got to go on the road against Alabama. And guess what? It's going to be prime time. And you want no one else? You got to go against Nick Saban. And everybody can say, man, JT, like Texas A&M is going to be able to give Alabama a close game because, I mean... Alabama hasn't really looked all that great. They haven't really looked as dominant, even though they are coming off a really good win against Arkansas, but Bryce Young gets banged up and all that. But at the same time, you got to remember, you heard what Jimbo Fisher said about Nick Saban, and you heard the words that were exchanged this offseason. So this game is going to be really personal. And if there's one person... In this sport, you don't want to pee off. It's Nick Saban because every time you do, he makes you pay. And the last time I remember a situation like this was against LSU. This was right after LSU had that national championship winning season, right? They were feeling themselves. They were talking crap after the game about Alabama. But Nick Saban was like, wait till we play them next year. So before the game, right, Nick Saban gets interviewed and the reporter's asking him, you know, his thoughts about last year, what happened and, you know, his expectations for this year's game. And, you know, this was one of the most ruthless, aggressive responses that I have ever heard of Nick Saban. When it came to a pregame question from an interviewer, this man said, we want to go in this game and change the way they think. And you can go look this up. He said he wanted to go in that thing and he wanted him and his team to change the way they think. Think about those statements. So you go into this Texas A&M game. And you're Jimbo Fisher. You are struggling on offense. Your offensive line can't protect. You don't really know what's going to happen with your quarterback position. I mean, your defense is on and off. I mean, what's going on? So what's next for Texas A&M is either one of two things. Either this team is going to play really good Saturday it is going to be a tightly contested contest or they're going to get embarrassed. And Jimbo Fisher is going to continue to have a nightmare season. Because let's be honest, nobody expected Texas A&M to be at the point that they are in right now this early into the college football season. Because their first couple of games were supposed to be gimmies. And yet they lost Appalachian State. And yet they're struggling right now. But the thing is, when it comes to the hot seat talk, I'm not there quite yet. Because you see, the thing with Jimbo Fisher, and you guys all know this, is that he's good to get you eight wins. And I know you're not going to be happy with that, but he's going to find a way to get to eight wins. Because he did it last season, despite all odds. And, you know, he is a pretty good coach. 
you know, he is a really good recruiter. He does no offense. He knows more than me and you. But at the same time, he does have to make changes. And that's part of being a head coach. But those changes aren't going to happen this season. If When it comes to somebody taking over, play calling and things like that, I doubt anything really happens during the season. But we'll see what happens during the offseason. But if a change was to happen in the season, I still don't really think it's going to be all that much of a difference. And you can say, oh, JT, well, anybody's better than Jimbo Fisher. I promise you, you can do a lot worse than Jimbo Fisher as your play caller. And I'm not saying that to praise him in a sense, but I don't really think there's nobody on Texas A&M staff who could really legitimately do a better job at calling plays than Jimbo Fisher because the guys on Jimbo Fisher's staff, Jimbo Fisher didn't pick up on the staff to say, oh, yeah, you're eventually going to call the plays eventually. You get what I'm saying? They were put on on the staff for other duties. So... If Jimbo Fisher needs a legitimate play caller, he needs to go out and do a legitimate search for one and hire one. But should he be on the hot seat? I still don't think so. I still think that Texas A&M is there. Like a lot of people make it seem like Jimbo Fisher's been there and he hasn't done anything. Like Texas A&M has talent. They're right there. A lot of people just feel like he should be getting them to the college football playoffs and winning SEC titles right now. But you see, it's not happening that way. It's not happening right now. And a lot of people are asking when. And I don't know when it's going to happen. But I mean, Texas A&M has the talent. It's there. It's just really about getting the right pieces there. And that's on Jimbo Fisher. But... When it comes to the hot seat talk, I still think that Jimbo Fisher is going to be able to produce an okay season for A&M. So I can't really give you a definitive answer right now on if I think Jimbo Fisher should be on the hot seat because I still want to see how the season plays out. However, right now, I still want to wait and see because people act like Texas A&M season is over. They're 3-2. and two. They still have plenty of games left to go. You are going to be playing against Alabama. Alabama is going to be a favorite against you by probably double digits. However, one thing that you know you have is talent. And that talent can end up playing well on any given Saturday. How many times have we seen Texas A&M going into a game that we didn't think they were going to win and they won? A good example of that was the last time they beat Alabama. With Zach Kazada, there was no way any of us thought that Texas A&M with a backup quarterback was going to be able to beat Alabama with Zach Kazada. But Zach Kazada balled out. So the talent's there. However, Texas A&M is going to be facing an Alabama team that is super talented. And Nick Saban is going to be heavily motivated, and he's definitely going to have these guys heavily motivated. And same thing with Jimbo Fisher. But you see... A&M season is not over because after they go on the road and they play Bama, they got a they got a bye week, and then after that bye, they go back on the road, but they play South Carolina, which is a winnable game. So let's say you lose Alabama, you're three and three before the South Carolina game. You go on the road, you beat South Carolina, which is a winnable game, four and three. Then you play Ole Miss, you got a good chance to win that one, five and three. You beat Florida, six and three. You go on the road, you beat Auburn, seven and three. 
So, I mean, for Texas A&M, they still have everything in front of them to have a pretty good season. But, you see, A&M fans just expected playoffs. And right now, early into the season, their playoff votes are already gone, pretty much. So, for A&M, right now, you look at Jimbo Fisher, and changes are going to be made right away. But, hopefully... You get good play out of your defense in this Alabama game. Your defense can help set your offense and good scoring position. And hopefully you can get some decent field goal kicking that can put some points up on the board. And hopefully your offense can put some touchdowns on the board as well. That would be a plus. You would love to see that. So that's going to be the kind of style of football that Texas a and has to play. They're going to be in a lot of close games. They're going to be ugly games most of the times. And they're going to have to find different ways to win. And on top of that, you don't really know what's going to happen with Max Johnson. So you're going to have to maybe move forward with Haynes King. And he can't throw the ball at all, really. So for Jimbo Fisher, things don't really look good as far as what's happening during this season. But, you know, it's not too late to get things turned around. Because the last thing Jimbo Fisher wants is for things to go sailing all the way south. And Texas A&M only wins five games. And they don't make a bowl game. Now, I think that Texas A&M is too talented of a team to implode and win less than eight games. But I've been wrong about a lot of things. And I could be wrong about Texas A&M. But I definitely do think that they should be able to get the eight wins. And this Alabama game, yes, it could be a blowout. But at the same time, A&M does have a really talented roster. So at the same time, that talent being there, yes, they are depleted at certain positions. Yes, they are dealing with injuries and all kinds of other stuff. A&M still is more than capable of being able to give Alabama a competitive football game. Like, Texas gave Alabama a great football game. And they lost their starting quarterback after the first quarter. So for AM, you definitely do have the pieces to give Alabama a great game because Alabama hasn't looked like a super dominant team. But when it comes to Jimbo Fisher being on the hot seat right now, I got to say, no, I'm going to hold off on that talk. But depending on how this season goes from this point out i'll come back and revisit this topic but this is it for this episode of the jt sports podcast i appreciate you guys for tuning in make sure that you go listen to the jt sports podcast on all podcasting platforms wherever you get your podcast from the jt sports podcast is available make sure you go ahead rate it five stars also if you're listening to this on youtube make sure that you go ahead like and subscribe if you haven't already also make sure that you share And I will see you guys with another episode shortly of the JT Sports Podcast.